Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful that you are with us, whether you're joining us in person or maybe in the courtyard or you're watching online. We're grateful to have you. And man, our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. Uh, and we'll let you know what's happening on June 6th. We're having baptisms. Uh, so if you've never been baptized or maybe you were like me and your, your parents chose to get you baptized as a child, uh, but you haven't since you made that commitment of faith in Jesus, uh, man, we'd love for you to be a part of this. You can check the, the baptism box on your Connect card or on the link uh, in the chat right now. We'd love to make that happen on June 6th. Uh, it's an awesome celebration that we get to be a part of in people's lives. Uh, today, man, I'm really excited about what God has already been doing in our midst and uh, some of the, the impact that he's already made in the last service and in people's lives. And uh, this series, I think, is going to be really, really impactful. So please don't miss a week of it. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I posted something on social media and I asked this question. I said, if you could, uh, in one word, describe your current emotional state, what would that one word be? So think about that for a moment. If, in, if you could say in one word, kind of where you're at right now emotionally, what, would, what one word would best define you? Some people, they uh, put some, some positive words in there. Some people said, I'm, I'm, I feel content or peaceful or blessed. But by far, the majority of people weren't in that category. They said things like, I feel overwhelmed, defeated, anxious, aimless, sad, exhausted or resigned? What would you say? If you could choose one word to describe your current emotional state, what, would, what one word would you say? For me, that one word would be unsettled. I feel like everything kind of is unsettled for me. Things in my family are unsettled. There are certain situations in our home that are unsettled. The, the whole COVID thing, I, I, even with like not, you know, things kind of progressing, it feels like in some ways, it's still like, I'm still unsettled. Like when I meet you, do I shake your hand? Do I fist bump you? Do I air high five you? Like, do I hug you? I don't know what's going on. I feel unsettled. Then I feel unsettled with people as a whole. Right, because people as a whole have just uh, have, have really shown themselves in the last year to just be straight crazy. Would you admit that? Like, hey, turn to your neighbor and say people are crazy. Just so, not the only one. There you go. Maybe the person you're saying it to is straight crazy. But what's crazy is that for many of us in this last year, we've dealt with emotions maybe we've never felt before. Maybe we've never had to wrestle through certain things that we've wrestled through, or maybe we've walked through emotions for an extended period of time. Like, man, I've dealt with this, but never for this long. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at emotions. And we're going to talk about this, this idea of emotions and, and the things that you and I walk through, but from a very biblical, Christ-centered perspective. Because here's the fascinating thing about emotions. Emotions were given to us by God. And yet they're the very things that can lead us to do things in opposition to God. Let me kind of repeat that because I think it's kind of fascinating that emotions uh, are, are, are given to us by God, but they can lead us to do things that are in direct opposition to God. Have you ever allowed your emotions to lead you to do things that were in opposition to your character, maybe your values, or maybe what God says to you? We all have. A couple of weeks ago, my, my son, he got uh, pretty angry about something. And uh, so he stormed off into his room. And then a few moments later, I hear a commotion happening. So I'm like, man, what's going on? So I walk in there and he's just throwing things on the ground. He's tipping over chairs. And, and I was like, dude, what is going on? He's like, I'm angry. I can see that. 
why are you doing this? Because I want to destroy your stuff. I was like, okay. Now, some of you may be thinking, Ernest, your kids are really bad. If you're thinking that, you don't have kids. (laughs) Straight up. Just wait. Praying for you. And so what do I do in that moment? Like he's now, I'm getting angry because of his actions. And so you would hope that I would do like the right thing, right? Like go hug him. Like if I just hug him, like he'll calm down. Or maybe as a pastor, I'll just pray for him. Like, Lord Jesus, help us in this moment. I didn't do any of that. What I do, I took his Legos, his most prized possessions, and I threw them on the ground. (laughs) And I said, how does that feel? It's a real good parenting moment. Really good. And especially the next day when I like felt so convicted that I went and bought him new Legos to like try to make up for it. It's just not a good situation, right? But we've all been there. And the Bible says that sin is not, that the anger is not sin, but watch out because what you do in your anger can lead you to doing and committing sin. God created emotions. In fact, Jesus, there's 39 recorded emotions in Jesus's life. 39, I didn't even know there was 39 emotions that people had until I had a daughter. I had no clue. That was, I was talking with this mom a couple weeks ago and she said, my, my kids have 39 emotions in an hour. I'm like, okay, it's not just mine. You know, but like Jesus has 39 emotions that are recorded. And what it shows us that he's fully God and fully man. He experiences deep grief when he looks over Jerusalem. He sees all the people disconnected from God. He experiences righteous anger when he looks at the religious leaders and they're putting rules and laws over people. He experiences joy when his disciples come back from a mission trip and they're like, man, can't wait to tell you all the things that have happened. He experiences overwhelming sadness when his buddy Lazarus passes away. He experiences loneliness, anxiety, and exhaustion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus experienced so many emotions. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at his life and how he wrestled through and processed through emotions and how he didn't sin in the midst of whatever emotion he had. And then what he says to you and I in the midst of our emotions. Today, we're going to look at uh, what Jesus says to you and I and what he does to us in the midst of uh, probably our deepest moment of need. In fact, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter seven. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's gonna be on the screen or you can download the Bible app. It's a great resource to be able to kind of follow along with us and do reading plans and all of that. And let me set it up for you. Jesus, uh, he was just in a town called Capernaum. Uh, When he was there, he healed a Roman soldier's servant. And so he, he heals this official servant. And then the Bible tells us right after that is where we pick up verse 11. It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. Now Nain was 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. So he goes from Capernaum to Nain. He doesn't take a, a train or a plane or an automobile. Uh, he walks there and it says that he's got this large crowd that follows him, which just fascinates me. That like these people are like, man, we'll go wherever you, we'll walk with you 25 miles to see what you're gonna do next. Take a look at verse 12. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow and a large crowd from the town was with her. So Jesus, he enters into the town and he sees this huge processional happening, this big crowd that's happening. He sees this, this young boy sitting uh, uh, on a, what's called a beer, not like a logger, not like a Coors, but on this thing right here. They, they made these, this was their coffin, And so the kid is laying there. We don't know how old he is. He could be 10 years old. He could be 18 years old, but he's the only son of a woman who's already lost her husband. 
So you can imagine what she's wrestling through right now. Now, when Jesus sees this, it says there's a large crowd. It doesn't mean there's a large crowd because this kid was really popular or the mom was really popular. What would happen in that day and age and in that culture, if you saw a, a funeral happening, you wouldn't just stop and maybe put on your blinkers or your, your lights and wait. You would actually join the processional. And so if you saw this funeral happening, whether you knew the people or not, you would join in with them and you had to walk with them a certain amount of distance. Now, in this scene, you've got people who are wailing. You've got people who are crying. You've got really loud mourners. And uh, in that day and age, they would actually hire people to do that. They would hire people to walk along with them and cry really loud and wail really loud and all of that. But imagine seeing this processional come along. People are crying and wailing and you get all of that. But then you look and you realize, man, it's a young kid. So you look around for the parents and you see the mom. And there's no dad. My guess is his name was a, a small enough town where the people knew. They knew her. They knew him. So you've got a widow who, now what hope does she have? She can't take care of herself. Her son's no longer there to take care of her. And this is the situation that Jesus enters the, the town upon. And we see in this story not only the power of God, but we see how God powerfully engages with us in our deepest moment. Of me. Look at verse 13. It says this, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were standing or they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet was a, uh, has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Now imagine this. Imagine you being at a funeral and, and, and somebody walks over to the coffin and touches it. And the dude's like, whoop, hey, what's up? Like, can you imagine this situation? And Jesus walks over, he just touches it, doesn't even, doesn't even pray over it, doesn't, doesn't even touch the kid, nothing. He just touches and the kid rises up. This amazing, powerful story. The people are like, whoa, we've, we've never seen this before. We've heard about it. We heard about Elijah doing it. We heard about Elijah doing it. That's why they say, man, he must be a great prophet, but he's no great prophet. He's the great God. We see the power of God and how he responds to this woman in her pain, in her sorrow. This story is not just about a miracle. It's not just about how God can raise the dead and how God can do anything in your life. It's about how God engages with you in your moment of deepest need, in the moment of greatest pain. And I don't know what you've been walking through. I don't know what you're dealing with, with your child or in your marriage or in your friendships. I don't know what you've been walking through in life recently. But I want you to know that our God will meet you in your deepest moment of need. In fact, what Jesus answers in this story is he answers this question, where is God when I hurt? Where is God when I hurt? Have you ever asked that question before? I think we probably all have. Like we go through something in life where something traumatic or something painful, we're walking through a, a place where we go, man, this is kind of dark right now. We're like, God, where are you? God, do you even see me? Do you, do you know my situation? Do you even care about my situation? 
I was meeting with a friend this past week, and, and, and they had a, 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 a very close friend of theirs unexpectedly die, a young kid unexpectedly die. They were saying, where is, our, where is God, Ernest? Like, where is he? Like, if he really cared about me, why did he allow this to happen? Why didn't he stop it? Why didn't he do something to prevent it? Where is God when I hurt? And in this story, we see where God is. We actually see Jesus do three things. The first thing, look at verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. The first thing that Jesus does in your deepest moment of need is Jesus sees. He sees. That kind of sounds strange. What are you talking about, Ernest? I mean, Jesus did ministry for three years. There were hundreds of people who claimed to be followers of Christ in that time. And he spoke before thousands upon thousands of people. Like he saw people all the time. And yet the Bible only records 40 times in scripture where it says Jesus saw someone. So he didn't just see people, he saw people. You know, there's a big difference between seeing and noticing. Ever realized that before? Like a huge difference between like seeing things and like noticing things. I'm, I'm terrible at noticing things. I don't know if it's because I'm a dude or what, but I'm like, I'm so bad at it. And my wife's here. So this is giving away my secret. But when she says, hey, I'm going to go get a haircut on Thursday, I'll put an alarm on my phone. So then on Thursday, I'm like, wow, your hair looks really good. Because I'll totally forget. And I know some of you dudes, that was a good tip for you. You're welcome. Some of you ladies, I dropped massively in your respect, so I get it. But that's kind of how I am, and I'm married to Sarah Noticer Smith. Like, she notices everything. Like she notices the haircut. She notices the outfit. She walks into a house and notices you rearrange the, the furniture. When we go to a wedding, she notices everything. The only thing I notice at a wedding is the food. Like, that's the only, I'm like, it was good or it was bad. Wasn't the bride beautiful? I guess, good food. You know, didn't the groom look handsome? I don't know, good food. Like, that's all I know. But she notices everything. She doesn't just see, she sees. And Jesus sees you. He's not some far off God who's going, wow, man, look at all these people are going through. Oh, man, I, I can't believe you're, that's happening to you. Or I wonder what's going on in so-and-so's life. But he knows you by name. He knows your story. And he not only sees you, but he sees you. He knows you. He notices you. And in a crowd where everybody's wailing and crying, Jesus sees the widow. He looks at her. And I don't know what you're dealing with, but I do know this. I know Jesus sees you in your grief. He sees you in your anxiety. He sees you in your depression. He sees you as you're walking through a divorce. He sees you in the midst of the infertility. He sees you when you feel like you failed as a parent. He sees your wayward child. He sees you as you're walking through mental health challenges. He sees. We have a God who's not far off, but he is right here and he sees you. The second way that Jesus responds, he not only sees, but he cares. Look at verse 13 again. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. 
His heart went out. Other translations say he had compassion on her. Now the word that is used there for his heart went out or he had compassion is the Greek word spaknitsame. And it's literally the, 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 the deepest level of compassion that someone ha- could have. It is the most powerful word in scripture for saying that someone has compassion for someone else. It's only used three times in Luke. And every time it's used, the person is being moved greatly. I think in compassion, there's kind of different levels of compassion, right? I think like when we hear certain things, we're like, oh man, that's, that's really sad. And then if it hits a little bit closer to home, it's like, oh man, that's really sad. But then we're moved. Let me give you the illustration. A few weeks back, the shooting up in Boulder happened. And when that happened, I'll guarantee you that all of us were moved. That all of us in that moment had compassion. I mean, I remember hearing the news and I was thinking, what? Like again? Again in our state? How does this keep happening? Why does this keep happening? And I I began to pray. I began to pray for the people who who were there. I began to pray for the, the first responders and our police officers who were rushing in there. I began to pray for the family members. I didn't know them by name. I didn't even know what was happening. I just, God, please be with those family members as they find out some news tonight. We were all moved to compassion. But can you imagine? Can you imagine getting a phone call? And it was your son, your daughter, or your spouse who was killed. It would move you so much deeper. It would be a different level of compassion. Because it's someone that you're intimately acquainted with, someone that's close to you. And so it's not just, man, I have compassion for them. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can breathe. And that's the word that is used here for Jesus when he sees this widow. That's not his mom, but he treats her like she's his mom. He's moved with compassion, compassion that, Tells him to do something. So Jesus sees, Jesus cares, and then lastly, Jesus responds. Look at verse 14. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. He touched the bier. Now that doesn't sound like too crazy, right? Because how many of us have ever gone to a funeral before and you've probably touched a coffin at some point or you've seen people that touch the coffin. You were like, oh my gosh. But in this day and age, in this culture, touching this meant that you were unclean. You didn't touch this. No one touched this. You see, the, the, the law in the Old Testament was you can't touch a dead body, but the, the Jewish leaders, they, they made laws around the law so that they'll never get close to the law. They'll never get close to breaking the law. So they put up these rules around the rules, around the rules. And so they said, man, you can't even touch this because if you touch this, you're unclean. So the, the men that were carrying this boy uh, to, his, to his graveside, they were already considered unclean. That's not something, that's, that's not a tag you wanted in your life. No, you didn't want to be considered unclean, and yet Jesus walks up, touches it, and the people are like, oh, they gasp. But more incredibly, the little boy gasped, and he's not alive. You see, religious leaders put up rules and laws to keep people out. But Jesus crossed those rules and those laws to bring people in. 
You see, that's what religion does. Religion, religious people, religiosity, it creates, it creates barriers. It creates rules around things. It creates lines around things to keep people out. Don't do this. You can't be like this to keep people out. We, we do it with masks. We do it with vaccines. We do it with gender and age and, and race. We do it with all kinds of things. And we say, man, we got to put some barriers up here because you can't be like this. And all it does is keep people out. And Jesus said, man, I'm breaking all of that because I want to bring people in. And so Jesus and the fact that if you're a follower of Christ, you as well, we're called to break barriers. We're called to do things that other people may go, man, that just seems crazy. Why are you acting that way? Why are you doing that? We're called to be apolitical, but very biblical. We're called to break barriers of race and gender and age and all of that to bring people in. Religion will keep them out, but Jesus calls us to bring them in. I want to show a story of a family in our church that, because of compassion, because of love, because of Jesus, they saw, they cared, and they responded. And I believe it's a powerful, maybe the most powerful illustration of the gospel. Take a look at this. My name is Steve Sellers, and my wife Jamie and I have been coming to Front Range for just under three years right now since we moved to Castle Rock from New Jersey. April of 2017, I returned home from a four-day trip, and it was late. I got home about midnight, and uh, Jamie, my wife, was still up in the kitchen, and that's kind of unusual for her. So I thought, what are, you, what are you doing up? She said, oh, nothing, just cleaning. I don't know, what are you really doing up? She said, well, Mitch, that's my, at that time, 22-year-old son's gonna give you a call. So uh, Mitch called me and uh, said that he had taken his girlfriend to the hospital that day, and uh, she had delivered a premature baby boy at 24 weeks premature. The next morning, we packed up and drove up to the NICU and were able to, to meet Oliver for the first time. And uh, he was small and vulnerable and lots of tubes in him, and, but he was beautiful. I ended up going on another trip a couple weeks, maybe a week later. And when I was in Chicago at a layover and uh, Mitch called me, a little upset, he said, uh, I said, what's going on? He said, well, they took Oliver back for some tests and he has what they call bilateral schizencephaly. And what that means is large portions of his brain were not developed. They just weren't there. So things like motor skills, speech, hearing, cognitive ability, there really was nothing there for Oliver. Over the next few days, they, they had some consultations with neurologists and doctors and this kind of thing. And, and they made the excruciating decision to take Ollie off of life support. On May 7th, we drove up to New Haven. And over the next several hours, they took Oliver off of his machines. And then several hours later, he passed away. We were in the room waiting 
and I saw a, a figure pass by, and Jamie said, uh, said, that's Mitch. And we just heard this guttural scream. Um, and so Jamie said, go get him. I ran after Mitch. Um, he ran down the stairs, uh, just in his grief and his pain, just trying to run. At some point, he stopped. And I, I remember we were in the busy, middle of a busy, busy intersection, and I approached, and he, he just stopped, and he was just sobbing. So I just approached nice and slow, put my hand on his back, and then he just turned into me and hugged. And we cried for like an hour, it seemed like. But uh, I just kind of gently led him back to the hospital. And uh, we eventually returned back up to the same waiting room, and they had taken Oliver and cleaned him up and given him to the family. And so we were able to hold him, look at him, and see his fingers, his toes, and his face. Um, it, was a, it was a special time. One of the more difficult parts was that I am a father. And I know what it's like to have a baby boy. And, and I, I can imagine what it would be like to lose that, to have it for three or four weeks and then lose it. And so my heart just went out to him because I've, I've experienced the joy of being a father. And to, to watch him experience the loss of that was, was painful. God is my heavenly father, and I'm, I'm Mitch's father. And so when God, our heavenly father, sees us grieve, I was able to see, as a father, see my son grieve, and to speak into his pain, and to, to walk with him through the pain, the same way that God speaks to us through our pain. You know, not understanding why something like this had to happen, and having to deal with that, like what's God doing, and why did he allow this to happen? to somebody as innocent as Oliver, who didn't do anything wrong. You know, why, why Oliver? And you just have to work through faith in those things. You can't always have those answers. I may never know why, why these things happen. And, uh, and that's okay, because at the end of the day, God's good. I'm not sure if there's a more beautiful picture of the gospel. As Mitch ran down the steps of that hospital, he ran out the doors, and literally was running through the town. And his father was chasing him. And I wonder how many of us, if we'd be honest with where we're at right now, we'd say, you know what? I've been running. Because of my pain, because of my sorrow, because of my grief. Whatever it may be, but I've been running. And you know, and sometimes it's enough to just stop. To just stop, turn around, and your father's right there waiting for the embrace. So I don't know what you've been going through. For some of you, you're in a sweet spot, but for others of us, including so many last service that would say, you know what? It's 
spiritually or mentally, emotionally. I'm exhausted because I've been running. God is saying today, just stop. Turn around. Let me embrace you. You know, if you were in my, my men's group, we would kind of walk through the circle and we'd go, man, how many of us are dealing with that right now? And, and we'd pray for one another. And if you're in a community group, maybe that's the conversation you'll have this upcoming week. But I know a lot of us aren't in a community group. So I thought, let's just have a little community group right here. So here's the deal. It's going to take some courage, what I'm about to ask of you. Usually this part of the service, I'll ask everybody to close their eyes, bow their head, and kind of walk through something. But in this one, I want you looking around. And maybe you're watching online, and if that's you, and you'd say, man, I, I've been walking through it. Like it, this moment or this time period or this what extended, whatever it is, man, Ernest, I, I've been in a really dark place. Maybe it's because of what's going on relationally with you. Maybe it's because of infertility issues. Maybe it's because of something with your kid. Maybe it's like my buddy that I just talked to this week who just lost his father. Like, I don't know what you've been going through, but if you're say, you know what, Ernest, I've been walking through kind of some dark moments, some pain. And this spoke to me today, knowing that my God sees me, that he cares, and that he is going to respond. If that's you and you're watching online, I just want you to put a raised hand emoji up right now. But if you're here in the room or in the courtyard, you can say, man, that's me. It's been a pretty dark time. I want you to be brave enough and bold enough right now to just raise your hand. Do me a favor, keep your hands raised. Now I want all the rest of us to look around. Don't lower your hand yet. My hand is raised. The last two months, because of some family situation stuff, has been some of the darkest moments we've walked through. So my hand is raised with you. But as I pray here in a moment, what I'm going to ask you to do, if your, your hand is not raised, I want you to identify somebody else that their hand is raised right now. You may not know their name, but I want you to be praying for them. As I pray for you and for us, I'm going to ask you to pray for somebody else if your hand isn't raised. And so it might be I'm praying for the guy in the blue hoodie or I'm praying for the girl with the dress two rows up for me, whatever it may be. But I'm going to ask you to pray because we're a family. In this moment, we need one another. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you that you are God who sees, that you are God who cares, that you are God who responds. And Father, you know each person by name, God. You know those who are watching online. And God just did a raised hand emoji saying, man, that's totally me. I need somebody to pray for me right now. I need God to just show up. Or maybe right here in the courtyard or right here in, in the room, we'd say, man, that's where I'm at. That I've just been running and I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. And God, I thank you that you took this story and not only did you raise this woman's son back to life, but God, you showed us how you responded to her in her deepest moment of pain, her deepest need. And you show us where you are and what you do. And 
when we're hurting. And so, Father, right now, I pray for each one of these individuals that just raised their hand. Father, you know what they're walking through right now. You know the struggle. Whether it's with their kids, with a relationship, with mental health, with infertility, with the job situation, with finance, whatever it may be, God, you know exactly what they're walking through. And I thank you that you don't just see them, but you see them. You notice them. That out of all the people on the planet, you are looking at them right now. You're looking at me. And I thank you that you are moved with compassion. That God, you are deeply moved because you care. And so, Father, I pray that you would respond. Father, for some of us, we need you to show up in a powerful way in our current situation. For others of us, God, we just need to be reminded that you're there. And we can hang on a little bit longer. We can walk through this dark moment a little bit longer. God, we just need to know you're like right here. Maybe just being here today is just that reminder for us. Father, but whatever we need, God, in this moment, we ask that you would respond in a powerful way. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the bravery of so many people saying this is where I'm at. God, move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name.